By the way, I think we should both take singing lessons. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, we need to get better at this. At which part? The singing part. Okay. The singing <laughs> intro that we're going to record now. Okay. Uh. Welcome to the Raft Podcast, Let's Fix Things, where Chus and myself, Joe Fletcher, explore the world of connected experiences, spanning from connected services, platforms, and devices over industries such as transportation, smart home, logistics, healthcare, and media. Chus and I started this podcast to explore design and strategy topics in more depth coming from the projects we handle in our design consultancy. Now, on to the show. Chus, good evening from Kuala Lumpur. Hey, Joe. Was <laughs> a bit of a delayed response there. Um, yes, so so let's see here. I'm back in. Uh, I'm back in now. Twenty eight degree weather, and you're still in zero weather. No, no, no. It's 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 better. It's not freezing. Not what is it over there now? Eight degrees. It's it's weird. I, well, I think I, I guess I'll be back in January when it's like the crappiest of all, right? You always think like the cold is going to hit in December. And Amsterdam, I was always like, ha no, sucker. It's January and February is horrible. You, you mean the nicest? We can ice skate. Okay, that's beautiful when the canals freeze. That happens once every 10 years. So let's, yeah. let's not build it up. That's this year. Yeah. So I, I, I wanted to open today by talking about my, uh, my trip to India, which has been occupying most of my time and where we podcasted from last week. Uh, and just sort of giving a rundown of a few things that happened in the last week. Okay. So I, I I was out there working on a panel for master students for doing judging their their um, final projects, and I I gotta say like like every time I go out and see what students do now, uh, and, and by the way this was at a DSK uh, a DSK school, uh, which also exists in France, and then they uh, they're over in uh, Pune, India. I don't know much about the France side of things or the French side of things. Uh, but the school in India, I, I got to say, when I look at the quality of some of the work and the students comes out of there, it always makes me cry when I think about the work that, that I was doing. It was like, yay, here's a 640 by 480 website. And, and, and they're like, here's my awesome like, demo reel video of motion graphics, animation, 3D rendering, and prototypes of actual products. Like, okay, cool. Huh. Um, but but it's it's truly inspiring um, to to see everybody out there. Uh, so that was that was occupying most of my time. But I got to spend one day in Mumbai, and that one day uh, made a massive massive difference. And so I'm going to take a little side note and explain why, because I think this is this is really important for for designers that are listening. Uh, well, anybody that's listening, really, who who travels. Uh, so about three or four years ago, I did a stop by Mumbai for some client work. And one of the things that you end up doing on business travel is you end up working a lot and you go to the office and then you go back to the hotel and you go to the office and you go to the hotel. And because you're in India, people get a little bit nervous about uh, eating out. And so people tend to eat in the hotel or they eat at the cafeteria in the office. And at one point I just sort of got tired of this and we were driving back um, across Mumbai to our hotel and I told the driver, pull over. Uh, and you know, the driver's like, um, sir, we're on the highway. I was like, I, I know exactly where we are. I, I'm very aware of this. Pull over. Um, 
So, so after some coaxing, uh, I got him to pull the car over and I'm with a bunch of other people in the car. And I said, I'm going to get out and I'm going to walk into one of these slum areas because I want to actually see some different sides of India. We've, we've been here, we're designing things for the Indian market. Um, and we actually haven't seen sort of how, uh, you know, millions of people live in India. And I tried to convince other people to come with me and they didn't, unfortunately, and so they, they said, how are you going to get back? And I was like, I, pff, I'll figure it out. Closed the door and walked off. Um, so, so I walk into this uh, the slum area. Uh, and I'm using the word slum now very specifically because I'm going to change that in a bit. And I'm walking around. And no, nobody speaks English. There is zero English. Mm-hmm. Um, but a bunch of kids start following me. And it gets to the point where I'm almost getting nervous because there's getting to be about 30 kids around me. Uh, and at some point, uh, you know, I'm walking around here, just, just walking through the different alleyways and, and, uh, I can't call them streets. So there's, yeah, like, like seeing what this looks like, how, you know, like looking at the way that connectivity happens, right? There's wires everywhere connecting everyone's houses. Um, and some kid grabs me and, and says, English, English, English. I was like, um, okay. And he's, he's pulling me. So I go over and he brings me to one girl, this 12 year old girl. In the, in the slum area, that is the only person who speaks English. And she goes to an international school. Um, and so she, like, her English at the time was pretty rough. Uh, but it was enough that we sat down for about two, uh, two or three hours with her and the leader of the slum. And what I learned is, is you call it a colony. So that's, uh, that was the first thing. And we had this two or three hour conversation about how, how everybody there lives, about what these colonies do. Um, and it was, it had to be one of the top 10 moments I think of my life because it completely changed the way that I thought about, um, so many things. And as a designer to take these chances, and this wasn't even a research trip. This was just purely, I wanted to understand how people lived. And the moment that I think changed the entire tone of the conversation was, uh, she's talking to me and then she says, do you have Facebook? And I, I was, I was like, what? She's like, yeah, yeah. How do you? And I so I asked her, how do you check this on my computer? And, and you're just so confused because as an American, you live in I live in Europe. You think these people are really poor and they don't have anything, and that wasn't the case at all. It was just that the rent in Mumbai was so insanely expensive that this was the middle class. They had flat screen TVs, they had computers, they had smartphones. Um, and, and it changed the entire way that I thought about how people are living and what they're doing and their, their entire approach to basically everything. And so I left and unfortunately we didn't end up connecting on, on Facebook. Um, I, I don't know why, I don't know what happened. Um, possible, like I wrote down my information and possibly, um, you know, she lost it and it was just sort of, that was it. Uh, and so this was the first time I was back and I went back to find her. Um, because it was such an inspirational moment in my life, I, I walked into the uh, I walked into the colony again, and I re, uh, you know I, I don't really remember many people. I remember what the leader of the colony looked like, but no one really speaks English. So I had a picture of her, and I knew her name, and so everybody so so some of the kids knew who I was talking about. So they brought me over to her house, um, and she wasn't there, but her mom was there, and so her mom uh, called her. And she was like, holy crap, like, what? You're like, oh, how, what? I'm very confused. Um, so I, I, I got her number. And so we've been chatting on, on WhatsApp. And it's, 
it's just amazing. So like, like for her, I'm, I like, I help her out with English and, you know, I, I just ask her all these questions about, you know, how, how does school work? How, you know, what is she doing? Like, how is living there? What's, what are these things? And it, it just, I mean, it, it is such an inspirational moment. And, and that was probably my favorite point out of the entire week is finding this person again um, and being able to continue these, these conversations because it really does alter the way that you think about, in this case, a country of 1 billion people. But it, it's been a moment that I've always used for when I visit new countries to always go out and, and try to find you know, local people to really understand what that country is doing and really understand how people are living. So that's, that's my 10-minute um, sort, of, uh, sort of offshoot and I would encourage anybody else when they travel to, to go and do these types of things. And Chris, uh, I don't know if you've actually heard that story. No, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that story. And I, I've actually, I was there as well back in, uh, when you were in India doing the yeah, same you, research Yeah, you, you did two weeks we had, of research. Yeah. Yeah, we had different groups. And I remember lots of things about connectivity in India. And um, they didn't have 4G internet back then. 3G was also not that covered. But what I remember from India is how connected everybody was. There's lots of people that do uh, remote work there. It means something entirely different to you and me than it means to them, but lots of people move from uh, smaller villages into big cities to uh, work, earn money, and send it back to support their family. And those people do crazy tricks with double SIM cards and change them per yes. day. And have multiple change them phones. Per day part. Um, they watch complete movies on their phones. India is just a, a country where people invent ways around uh, things. And I know that recently they've introduced 4G internet there. And I'm really curious to see what kind of possibilities they will find uh, to do with that over there. So I, I was over there and, and that's part of what I was checking out. Um, aside from meeting with the school, sort of what's going on with, with some of the new connectivity stuff they have. And it's just as good as what I have in Malaysia. It's, it's, possibly better than what I have in, in Netherlands. Um, and so it's, it's uh, yes, and to your point of watching movies on phones, it's not just a single person. There'll be like multiple people will be around a phone. Um, and uh, one of the things, I, I think you've mentioned uh, this to me before, which is when people are meeting in the same location, when the first person gets there, they'll call the other person, but hang up as like a signal that they're there, but they don't want the person to pick up because it will cost money. Yeah. And so they have all the, these ways of doing things, and it's absolutely ingenious. I guess the main thing for me is that I'm not a researcher, but I, I think if you really want to understand how, how a country works, you know, you can't just sit in hotels and conference rooms. Uh, today, being in Malaysia, I mean, the first thing I did in Malaysia was I went out and found some underground punk clubs. And that's, that's you know, what I like, but it also gives me a feeling of, hey, there's a bunch of early 20s people here that are going to tell me about different things, anything from government and political aspects to living situations. Uh, and, and so today I was at the bookstore and I found a book called Letters to Home, which is all these letters written by um, Malaysian, uh, Malaysian teenagers in early 20s um, to their parents or their family back in Malaysia. And I've just read a few sentences out of this, but it, it seems incredibly interesting, like uh, what these people are discovering as they're traveling overseas and how they relate that um, to their home. And so, so I'm super excited to read that as well. Long, long separation there, long intro. And, and if, the, if the person manages to listen, uh, her name is uh, Janvi, which I can never quite pronounce correctly. But yeah, I, I, maybe it's, I, I was actually thinking at some point we should try to get her on the podcast uh, if, if, she has, uh, if she has good connectivity 
to actually hear her talk about how these colonies work for connectivity, how she uses the internet, how people around her, other students around her, because I would actually love to continue the conversation that I started out three or four years ago. Um, so that may be something we can look at in the next month or two, uh, if we can figure that out. I, I think that would be amazing. I think we, many of our listeners know what high connectivity does in our areas, but it's much more interesting to see what it does to areas that are actually sort of skipping ahead into time by getting this uh, high bandwidth connectivity. Yep. And, and I'm also working on um, one of the students that I, uh, that I met at the university who did some amazing work, and he also did some uh, smart home work. Uh, so I'm going to try to get him connected. Uh, so we've been emailing back and forth and get him on the podcast as well. I think he can not only bring uh, a unique perspective around, you know, like smart home technology in India, but also he's traveled outside so he can compare and contrast uh, sort of what's going on with smart home as an industry uh, to smart home in India and, and what he designed. And from watching what he designed, it was actually some great rationale. And, uh, you know, if he chooses to go down that route after he graduates, it would be a, a pretty, uh, pretty amazing designer to be in the smart home industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I don't have, I, th I think actually that wasn't really follow-up. That was just sort of what was going on and, and sharing things. But I think follow-up is, is actually our main topic. Yep. So last week we went over privacy and security. And from a few conversations we've had, I, I, it's worth continuing that. And this is why. <laughs> so in the last few weeks, the more that we've been digging into this and, and the more that uh, Hus, you and I have been talking about designers' roles in privacy and security, the more examples of this that we uncover. And you brought up um, the, the woman who gave the talk at ThingsCon around uh, you know, how do you deliver more customized experiences to people? Because of this, you basically ask for a sacrifice of, of, of privacy. So being in Malaysia and being in India in the last uh, few weeks, uh, one of the things that you start learning about connectivity here is not everything has the same regulations as the EU or the US. Um, things like net neutrality may not be as existent here. Things like um, packet inspection, having having telco companies understand what you're looking at, uh, whether that's Facebook or YouTube or things like that, um, is something that happens, and it, it's something that you know I, I think is worth a continued discussion on. You know, if that's good, if that's bad, I think there are two sides of the coin here. It's not always bad, and so there there are different ways within these within these areas of connectivity, within these countries that allow for packet inspection, or actually this doesn't even have to do with packet inspection necessarily. This is packet inspection within a household. So I, I'm seeing more and more, whether it's specialty sort of routers or just ability for parents to understand what their children are doing. And this seems to be like the next level of parental control, whereas parental control was originally like block the porn channel, right? Now it's becoming... I want to see if my, you know, is my child spending a bunch of time on his Facebook application or his Instagram application or Snapchat? And I want to be able to break that down and see what he's doing. Um, and so there's that situation. There's also the situation of, uh, I think it's Huawei, but I can't remember. It does a bracelet, like a GPS bracelet. Um, so parents can understand where their kids are. And if you're a four-year-old kid who maybe walks to school alone, because again, we're talking about different countries. Although I, I think, I don't know what age kids start going to school alone in 
uh, in Netherlands, but in India, you may be four or five and walking to school alone or your school bus may be picking you up when you're quite young and your parents want to make sure that you're safe. And so you have these, these bracelets that can do GPS monitoring. But at maybe 10 or 11 or 12, of course, if the parents are like, wear these things because I want to know what you're doing after school, this is going to be a little bit difficult. I can obviously see why this is a positive thing. I can see why, of course, as a, as a kid, you know, as a, as a teenager, especially, you don't want your kid, you don't want your parents understanding what you're doing uh, on your phone. And, and so that's the, that's the first thing that I would get at is, is we're, we seem to be building tools that are great for an audience that may violate privacy of, of minors in a certain way, but in that case, you're violating it for the parent. And so it's, it's, it's a difficult area. I, I can see why kids would not like it. I can see why parents would like it as well. Yeah, I think that there's, there's different strategies, right? You started off with them a little bit, like parental controls used to be the blocking off or the walling off of certain content. That was it. So when the kid or whoever was being blocked off from certain content, correct the code, the parents wouldn't be able to see that that happened and they could just happily go on and do whatever they wanted. Now we've gone to a new level where the parents can actually sort of literally see what the kids are doing. Um, and then instead of being able to block people from, from doing things, you will be be able to monitor and, and maybe have a conversation about what those things are and why you think that is good or not good for the kids. And it, it allows for this conversation to happen. But at the same time, you get to kind of this point of, are you now uh, surveilling your kids and are you getting too much data? So I think there's a design challenge there that um, allows the parents to see maybe the type of content or the amount of time that is spent on a type of content without literally observing everything that happens. Could I say type of application versus content? Is that fair? Um, it, it depends. Like uh, YouTube is an application, but... Oh, okay. Like videos versus music. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But of course, at the same time where the challenge lays is that many, many websites and um, apps are now starting to encrypt all of their traffic to the server. So the whole deep packet inspection uh, that used to almost literally tell you what is happening will now already by default block what is happening and tell you the connection is from uh, this phone to that uh, service. So it's already obscuring a little bit what is literally happening. Well, and, and that makes sense. But and I, do you need to know, like as a parent, you just sort of want to know my kid's on YouTube a lot, right? But you don't need a list of the, the videos he's watching. I mean, I'm sure some parents would like that, but that to me is where the line needs to be drawn, right? There needs to be, you know, that's sort of like, there's that implicit trust, or at least in, in the U.S., that your parents may see your diary, but they don't read it, right? And, and that's sort of what it feels like here as well. Yeah, I think that's a good description. And it, it is also where the web is moving in a way where you can see sort of what websites were visited, but not what pages on those websites were visited. But, but here's the question. So if you, if you start this out and you start to create a generation, or let's just say like who are used to being monitored as governments are introducing also monitoring techniques, is this starting to set more and more of a precedent that so many people have been pushing back on that monitoring is acceptable and okay, right? Is, is it like, and that's where the design challenge comes into me. Like, you know, as a designer, you're, you're totally like, yes, I, I think it's good if parents maybe have a bracelet on their kid when they're four years old in a developing country 
that tells them if they've caught the bus to school and if they're at school, right? That's, that's a safety factor that like, I would have absolutely no problem designing that. If someone comes up and asks me to design a parental control where parents can see what applications their kids are using, this is where I start to get into a gray area because I think, I know parents want that, but how much transparency do you want? But then if I start to get into an area of, I'm going to go through the websites, you're seeing then to me, it starts to get, okay, you, you, you've stepped over that line. But at the same time, if you're allowing people to go up to that line, what's the precedent that's starting to set from a, from a design perspective and how much are people willing to slowly accept more of that monitoring? Maybe we have to embrace a model more where it is a possibility for the kids to, um, work with this system and understand what this system is doing. So it's no longer a, a forced monitored environment, but it's more like, for instance, um, kids understanding or kids believing in Santa or kids understanding what is actually happening, that kind of thing. So when they... Hey, explain a little. I'm, okay, yeah, go ahead. So go the ahead. moment when they start to understand uh, what is happening, they can actually uh, control it and play a role in it as well. But as long as they are not aware of the necessity of these tools and the effect that these tools have, that's the moment when they still need it. But, but what, what role do you see kids playing in that case? I mean, is it sort of like, like, oh, you only spend one hour on YouTube, you get your allowance this week. Like, what's, I, I'm trying to figure out the mm -hmm. level that, and again, to me, this, this all goes to, to back to design, right? If you're, if you're going in and you're doing research and you're finding out these things, but you have two parties that are clearly different, one a monitoring party and one the other being monitored. Like, where is that? What are the kids doing here that, that makes them fit into this? I, I think we're now merging two, two major topics into one, and that's why we can't come up with, uh, with a single direction. So, Okay, to, uh, break it apart for me. You have the hour spent on a device looking at certain types of content. That's definitely something where parents want to know how much time they're spent and, and maybe put some rules. And then you have the other one, which is the GPS bracelet that tells the parents where their kids are. And I th okay, no, I think, good, good point. Yeah, yes. I think that's yes. the one that I was talking about. Like, as long as the kids still think like this bracelet is there, so my parents know where I am, and when something unsafe is happening, I can press this button, and they know where to find me, and they can help me out. Versus when those kids turn 10, 11, where they're like, well. I know where I'm going to go and I don't want my parents to know, but it's all fine because I'm my own person. And I know that age is going to be different for every kid and for every parent looking at their kids, it's going to be different. But I think it's going to be a little bit a system like that where there has to be a, a voluntary kind of an opt into it. I, I wonder if you start to design things. I mean, so, so I sit over, you know, I travel and so I have my VPN set up. We've talked about this before. I wonder if almost there's a way to say like encrypt, right? As a kid, you're like, okay, mom and dad, I'm going to wear the bracelet for safety, uh, but after school, I get to do my own thing. So I'm going to go in, in encryption mode, right? I'm going to go in ghost mode and you can send me a message on my phone if you want to reach me. I mean, I, I can imagine parents being like, hell no, you're not. Uh-uh. Like you're, you're going to stay right where I can see you. Um, but at, at the same time, I can imagine like, you know, with my parents, there was always a, okay, I'm going to go to somebody's house and that was acceptable and that was okay. And they didn't need to know exactly like, you know, there's a group of three houses together. So it, it just seems like if you're designing these, these, these systems, um, what can you do for the parent and what can you do for, for the child and how do you make those, those things work together? So as, as you were saying. 
I'll hold on the other piece, which is sort of expecting what your what your children are doing from an application point of view or a content point of view. Uh, because the other thing I think is is worthwhile about that deep packet inspection or just simply packet inspection, don't even need the deep here, is that if you're a company that is selling data, and this gets into the net neutrality, if you can see that I use uh, Instagram, which is one of my go-to, like probably data hogs or YouTube or Spotify streaming, right? If you can see I use Spotify streaming for 80% of my data and you can tell me, hey, you can buy this, this Spotify data special thing where you're going to buy it for half the cost of normal data, but you can only use it with Spotify, right? So it's going to eat away at that. Is that good or is that bad? As a designer, you present this notification to somebody. And if you just present a general notification of, hey, I noticed you're using a lot of data, you know, maybe there's something in there that's like, well, crap, well, like, why? like, yes, of course I'm using a lot of data. I'm streaming on Spotify. Like, I wish you could give me something specialized to that. There's this situation where when things aren't specialized, we want them to be specialized. And when things are specialized, then we get nervous about our privacy. And it seems like you're in the situation where we blame companies for being, for taking advantage of like, oh, you know what we're doing and that's scary. But at the same time, we then complain if people don't seem to know us, if companies don't seem to know us. The whole thing is like, why aren't, and this is what we started last week, that customization of websites or applications. Yep. So uh, like, how do you, how do you win at this? Well, for me, it, I, I get nervous immediately when I hear these things being offered. And we've had it here in the Netherlands too. I think there's still one provider even doing it for Spotify. But of course, at the moment you say that you can stream any sort of service outside of your data bundle, you're also saying that net neutrality is gone, right? Net neutrality means that you can't discriminate one byte from another or charge more or less for one byte or another. Now we're, we're getting to this convenience over security or convenience over privacy argument again that we've talked about before on many episodes. When I get offered a discount, I like net neutrality rules to not be there. When my Netflix streaming in the bus is fine, I would love that. Exactly. But when all of a sudden I have to pay extra to send messages to people, so a WhatsApp will start costing me 10 cents per message, then I'm like, no, 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 you're breaking net neutrality. So it's this really <laughs> fun paradox that as long as we offer it in the form of a discount, it all seems to be fine. But when it's uh, the other way around, we rebel. So is this a, is this a marketing problem then? Because if, if you sort of jack up the price of the overall bundle of data, but then you, you, you say, hey, Netflix, you know, like, like my, my Vodafone package, I think is, uh, no, I don't think I know, is 25 gigs a month. Clearly, I'm wasting that money since I'm not in Netherlands. But 25 gigs a month, and I think it's like 80 euros a month or something like that. Now, if they said, hey, look, you can get five gigs a month of, you know, any internet you can use and 30 gigs of Netflix, I'd be like, well, that's, that's 35. And it's the same price. I'd be like, well, I do watch a lot of Netflix because I, because I commute a lot on the bus. And like, that sounds pretty cool. And in and, and that case, then it, it's, it's, and I just, I do think this has to do with design. I think this is all about design strategy and understanding users and what they want. And I don't want listeners to think, okay, they're just having this ethical privacy conversation. To me, this has a lot to do with uh, sort of that ethnographic research of understanding what people want and understanding sort of it, it, this empathetic feeling behind what they want. 
Um, so I don't want that to, to be lost, lost in, in the whole haze of, of ethical conversations. But if, if Vodafone offered to me that deal, am I, am I cranky about that or am I happy? Well, yeah, this is where my opinion turns very black and white and you would expect me to anyway. Net neutrality is, is a set of rules that can only be enforced if they are black and white. If you're saying, well, there's no exceptions to net neutrality, if there's no exceptions to net neutrality, there's other things uh, that come with that, like uh, bandwidth throttling will not exist because they can't limit the speed on certain services because it doesn't matter what you're doing on that line. Uh, protected against uh, internet censoring and... Um, censorship, censorship, there we go. Right, the, the thing is that once you say, hey, well, because of marketing, we're gonna let this net neutrality slide a little bit, you're opening the door to all these other things. And I know this is the but, typical paranoid reasoning, but we know legislation is always behind on the latest technological things. So it's kind of a thing let, that I don't want to change my stance on, not even a little bit. Let me put, you know what, I'm going to push back on you on this. So, okay, I have one fiber connection coming into my house. And, you know, soon I might have one 5G connection coming into my house. Let's say that my TV also goes out over that, right? So then... I'm paying for my TV bundle separate from my data because TV, you're basically paying for the content on the channels. And I understand that. But if they said TV was, you know, $34.95 a month and in the back end, they're actually scraping off, you know, $4.99 a month for that because it's just, you know, it's, it's such heavy data consumption comparatively to what you're doing on a computer. Yeah, you know, and these are for major network channels. I know that that the, that even the term TV is getting confusing now with Netflix, mm -hmm. right? So then, is there maybe a certain type of offering where all of a sudden, because it's presented with like, well, you're getting Fox and CBS and CNN and BBC um, and RTL and these types of things, then all of a sudden you're paying for TV, but they're just going to add in a little bit extra um, for the the bandwidth that you're using. Is that okay? Like, number one, you might not even know it. Number two, it's almost a separate service. So I have, like, thoughts about that. Just think of it like Netflix, right? You're not paying for the data. You're paying for the content and the access to the content. And TV is, of course, a special thing uh, since that used to be coming on its own line. But now, for instance, at home, I have broadband cable access, which means my TV signal comes over the same line, physical line, as my internet, because it's now digital over that cable, it is actually data that's coming into my house, which is not counted as, uh, as any of my uh, monthly caps. So yeah, it's kind of a special thing. And you could say that it is maybe in intruding on the net neutrality, but there's a difference between internet and data. And uh, that's, that's where I would draw the line. And TV is not internet. It is not coming in over the HTTP line. It is not. Oh, yeah, and it becomes a really, really technical conversation. Really, so, okay. So that makes me feel because I mean, you know, normal people would never think about that. Uh, they just think I have a I have a line. I plug it in. I get I get all these services. I mean, that becomes you're obscuring. I, I could argue back that you're obscuring things in definitions, right? That that oh, because it's not over HTTP then all of a sudden net neutrality doesn't apply to it and you, you can charge extra money for bandwidth that it takes. But for normal people, they would never get that distinction, right? I mean, so, so all of a sudden, 
have oh that i hadn't thought of that one that's that's quite an interesting and 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 thinking about it from the point of view as well if you're if you're working on whether this is a serv- like a service provider like an AT&T or a Vodafone or a Comcast how do you explain these types of things to people when they only need one cable coming into their house now and how do you start to explain that because they're like well it's all internet why the hell are you charging me for something separate yeah and and besides our opinions on this topic i'm i'm sure anybody could have a different opinion on it and 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 argue strongly and and that's fine i think there should be an open discussion i think that is exactly where the playground lays how do we as designers actually talk about these experiences and why are they different how is netflix different from my tv broadcast and you could argue yeah. well a broadcast is being broadcast right so you have to get it live but i also pretty much have uh 7 days of tv that i can just access on demand from that same box but it's still not the internet why is it not the internet and yeah. if you're then talking about i'm not sure if i understand it fully correctly but um sms used to live in kind of the uh the calling home space uh of of a phone where it would send data packages back to the back to the network every now and then and an sms lived in that free space well i'm pretty sure that once we switched off gsm and and 2g networks when it's now 3g and 4g only my sms is not doing that but i'm still paying per sms so is that actually also really still true or are we now also trying to hide it in definition I can imagine people listening to this and thinking this is a really dry conversation. But I'm also I'm I'm listening to everything you're saying and this conversation that we're having and I'm thinking, well this is exactly why it's difficult to sit around and and say you know, and use terms like net neutrality and uh, and and deal I mean the things that we've been talking about in the last few weeks, right? Regulators and privacy, uh security will leave aside to the point, but this is why these topics are so complex and as a designer how you explain those things to people how you tell a story of that and this is going to get even i mean we haven't even gone into and I think we're we're running out of time basically but we have not gone into a smart home usage because one of the things that you hear with smart home is like oh with with your energy you can see how other people in your apartment building are using energy so you can see if you're way over them or way under them and using the average and then of course it obfuscates names of people but your data is being you I mean this is something I think that um uh, that a few buildings I've heard in Germany because one of my friends uh, was talking about it there mm-hmm. uh, and, and and so there's this whole thing of privacy in those situations and you're like you know oh well it's cool because I can see if I'm over or under what my my neighbor is using just to sort of give me an average to see you know m- maybe it's 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 pushing you to conserve energy in that way but again it goes back to that issue of Uh, and and who's I think you organized this or said this the best right uh, and and this is it sounds like such a stupid statement but it's so true is that when i get the benefits i don't care about net neutrality and privacy but when any other time when it's being used against me then of course i care about it or maybe not being used against me because of course you would care about it if it's used against you um but in a way that isn't necessarily beneficial to you so it could be neutral in which case even neutral is is is, is a detractor Yeah. Um but but it, it it's just interesting like you can't have your cake and eat it too. So you either need to decide if you want these customized Amazon coupons or if you just want to pay a a just you know a normal price. Um and and that's sort of the crux of the argument uh, both for net neutrality and and for privacy at the point that we've coming back to but I I absolutely love the conversation because it's 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 a hell of a conversation to think about 
especially with the stuff that we work on that's all these connected products that, yeah. uh, that we handle day in and day out definitely so i i think what the main takeaway is yes this conversation might sound boring but if you're a designer and you're designing things that make use of the internet or any other way of communication read up on what is net neutrality what does it mean how does that cross borders what is deep packet inspection what do over-the-top services mean? We haven't even talked about that. We haven't talked, okay, especially, especially if you are a designer doing anything that goes outside of your country. I am, I am absolutely amazed how many designers still think that even when they design globally, they're like, but this is the way that I use it in my city. You're like, oh, Christ, right? And Yeah, so I, I think we can have many more episodes about this. I think we've made our point. There's a whole world that has to do with connectivity that is not about, should I use my Facebook account to sign in? It is, it is much, much broader than that. Yes. Okay. So, so next week, uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to try to get one of, uh, one of the guests on I talked about next week, but we'll see how that goes. Or actually, we may, we may actually not do it next week. We might be off for a few weeks because we, uh, we have the holidays coming up, but we'll, we'll take a guess on when the next one will be. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to um, try to uh, do one over Christmas. Yeah, we'll see if we can get a guest on as a special holiday edition. But, but yeah, I mean, going back, you, you summed it up great. It, it just seems like as design moves forward as a discipline, going back to the stuff we talked about with Dave, learning about these kinds of topics and learning about these kinds of more strategic design topics and these theoretical topics are going to be so much more important to design as a discipline moving forward. So it, it may be dry, but it is, it, is a hell, it is super interesting to me. Yeah. Cool. Okay, man. Well, from, uh, from I was about to say from India, from Malaysia. I will talk to you soon. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.